Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. I have been the object of disbelief my whole life. It greeted me as a child, this disbelief. And it helped itself to me, to my heart, marking me so deeply that, well, you don't know the level of repulsion people feel for you until you spend a good portion of your life not being looked in the eye. That was my life up until the moment Jesus found me. And what an unbelievable state he found me in. So we packed, we cleaned, and we gathered for three years, though it felt like only days. And then the time came. Well, until his days were accomplished and he did what he came to do. If you've walked a life anything like me, you know what I mean when I say that sometimes people try to put onto you what Jesus removed. He was only gone from us, what, a couple of days the first time it happened. That mighty, miraculous morning, I went to the tomb and he was very not dead. He called me by my name, and he gave me very specific instructions. So I ran to tell the disciples what I had seen, that he was alive, and they didn't believe me. I mean, had they forgotten that we stood shoulder to shoulder all this time? I may not be one of the 12, we're 11 now, but I followed him just the same. But you know what? Their perception of me is not the image Jesus saw. I was no longer the cracked and crooked house that demons dwelt in, because the moment I realized Jesus believed in me, I believed in him. And eventually, the disciples, they'd come around. Jesus kept appearing to a few, then to hundreds. But even after all that, there would still be some who didn't believe. He warned us about that. But more importantly, there would be other people, many other people who would never see it for themselves, but still believe. So that's why I, why we keep going until we reach every person who once and for all is done with disbelief. 
Mary Magdalene had her whole life rescued, restored, put back together, and then turned right side up by Jesus. I mean, when, when the Messiah... When the Messiah crossed paths with Mary Magdalene, one unforgettable day, her shattered life was being held hostage. And while the scriptures, they, they, they don't record the specific encounter when that happened, Mark identifies that Mary Magdalene, over in his gospel account, was a woman identified like this. We can go to that next slide. A woman from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. How would you like to be known <laughs> like that? As a result, Mary Magdalene did everything within her reach after that moment, to further Jesus' ministry and further Jesus' message and further Jesus' mission. We see that over in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Mary Magdalene's one of those ladies who's right there, right next to him, following him, helping, finance, make sure everything that Jesus is about is able to be heard and experienced by everybody everywhere. And man, did the Lord Jesus ever have an incredible plan for Mary Magdalene's life. Mary Magdalene, think about this. Mary Magdalene had the distinct honor of being identified in the Gospels as the very first person to witness the resurrected Jesus on that original Easter Sunday morning. That story is found over in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And, and, and while being such an important person in the biblical account of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, little is really known about this woman whose name is associated with a fishing village, Magdala. Magdala. Magdala is a little fishing village on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. It's not too far away from where Jesus based his ministry, just to the north at a place called Capernaum. Now, if you were to go to the Sea of Galilee, it's so interesting to note that 75% of Jesus' recorded miracles happened on the north side of the lake, the north side of the Sea of Galilee. This little spot right up here where the Jordan River comes down and feeds into the Sea of Galilee, around Capernaum and Bethsaida, this area right up here. And Mary Magdalene was from Magdala a little fishing village right there on the shores. That's where she was from. Now, Mary Magdalene, she's, she's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And primarily when she's mentioned, it's in conjunction with the happenings of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus, think about this, Jesus was there for Mary Magdalene 
when she was enveloped by demonic oppression. So think about this. The least that Mary could then do was to be there for Jesus when he is on the cross just drowning in the throes of sins, poisonous waves on Calvary while he is selflessly sacrificing his life for our lives. And if Mary Magdalene's presence at the cross meant that Jesus would not have to suffer and die alone, then there was no other place on the planet that Mary Magdalene wanted to be. Mary Magdalene, she she stood her ground in faithful devotion, in appreciation to the one who had claimed her in the midst of her own hell on earth before Jesus then exercised those seven demons. There's some amazing artwork. This one here is just a a fascinating piece of artwork depicting Mary Magdalene before Jesus exercised those demons. There's incredible artwork depicting her character and her personality, who she may have been. But this one here always grabs my attention when I see it because Jesus changed her from the inside out. I mean, prior to Jesus' miracle in Mary's life, she had suffered alone in in this, this demonic, depressing oppression. And therefore, she was not about to allow Jesus to experience any such solo suffering, and she stayed near the cross. She wasn't going to leave him alone. The other disciples, except for John, all scattered. Boy, that's a true disciple right there, is it not? That's a true follower, right? Wasn't one of the 12, but she was one of them. Yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mary knew suffering firsthand. She wasn't going to let Jesus experience it alone. And while emotionally gutted, She experienced in her own way the the horrors with Jesus as Jesus is on the cross for six hours. I mean, Mary Magdalene is just feet away from his feet that were nailed to the cross. She could hear everything that was going on over those six hours. See it, smell it, taste it. She experienced that crucifixion with Jesus in her own way. And until Jesus breathed his final breath, she remained steadfast and she remained near the cross. And then she was close to Jesus as they removed Jesus' dead body from the cross. Mary Magdalene was nearby when two men, Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus, quickly prepared Jesus' body and placed his body in an unused tomb. And friends, I'm telling you, Mary Magdalene, based upon the authority of God's word, was present through it all. She was there. Mary Magdalene was present for it all. Before then retreating back to wherever that place was that she was staying. She had to get back to wherever that location was because the Sabbath day was quickly approaching. Good Friday's sun was setting. 
And she likely, think about it, she likely went home, wherever that place was, and she likely sat in silent grief over the next several hours, only being interrupted. The heavy quiet only being interrupted with some spontaneous sobs and maybe some sniffles as her tears fell. And probably the tears of others that were with her. I mean, how, how long must that Sabbath rest have really felt without ever once really feeling refreshment, relaxation? That's what the Sabbath was created for, yes? To remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy as God created it. To rest, to be restored, to be renewed and rejuvenated for a new week of work. How much rest did she really get? Probably not much. Regardless, she endured the time that she was there on the Sabbath. Now, Sunday has come. A new day is dawning. Now she's ready to return to the tomb. What's she going to do there? She's going to actually try to give a proper burial, a proper attention to Jesus' body that was quickly prepared and, and laid in the tomb. And she's coming to finish that, to engage with his maimed and lifeless body for much longer burial. And little did she know that once the Sabbath day had come and gone, Mary Magdalene soon would would hear her name called from the same lips of the newly resurrected Lord. No longer in the tomb, but now outside the tomb. I mean, when death conquering Jesus spoke her name, Mary, don't you know that the sound of his voice just dropped her she fell to her knees, most likely. Wouldn't that be the natural response to this same one who had spoken words of rescue and redemption over her life in prior days? That's not hard to imagine, is it? No. No. I mean, of the few specifics that we do know about Mary Magdalene's life, the fact that she had a dark past, that's one of them. That's one of the facts that we know from Scripture. Now, as, been, as was mentioned earlier, we know that Mary Magdalene harbored how many demons inside of her life? Seven. Seven demons in her precious life. We do know that about her because the Scripture says that you can trust God's Word. However, take a step back with me. Think about Mary for a minute. Think about what we do know for sure and what we don't necessarily know, but maybe has been speculated about her life. Two totally different things, what you know and what you speculate, right? Yeah. See, see it's inaccurate, it's unsubstantiated to connect Mary's dark past with any specific sinful actions or any allusions to 
a loose living kind of a lifestyle. We don't know that. But throughout church history, people have tried to attach those extra things to Mary. I mean, some biblical commentators have tried to link Mary Magdalene with the woman who was caught in adultery over in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. We don't know that. But she's been linked with that woman. Others have, have, have tried to connect Mary Magdalene with an unnamed woman simply labeled as a sinner over in Luke's gospel, chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. The woman who fell at Jesus' feet, anointed his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. Some have tried to connect Mary Magdalene with that woman. We don't know that for sure. That's unsubstantiated. Not to mention the scores of extra-biblical mythology throughout history. See, none of those connections back to Mary Magdalene are supported with actual, valid, textual evidence. It's all hearsay, speculation, may have been her. But we don't know that. See, people get extra would you say that word with me? Extra. People get extra added on to what simply is not accurate. But unfortunately, in their lives, extra sometimes sticks to something that happened in the past. Yeah? Wasn't accurate, but somewhere along the way, it just kind of stuck. And it's extra but now it's extra with you. That ever happened to you? You get known for something extra in your life that never really even happened. It wasn't even true. It wasn't even close. But that extra stuck to your reputation. It became part of the narrative. And now it's just true, isn't it? Maybe to everybody but you who was there and who knows the story and what is true and what is not true. What is a part of the past and what's just say it with me. Extra. You go, give me an example. I'll give you an example. Many of you have been praying for my dad who had an accident about four weeks ago. He and my mom were at the Baylor, Kansas basketball game. Dad's had some mobility challenges the past few years, and so he has a, a, a handicap uh, sticker where he can park in an area that's a little bit easier to get in and out of. And at the basketball games, they provide a golf cart for those who are in need of some additional assistance. And so after the women's game, there was about a two-hour gap before the men's game, and, and Baylor won both of them that day. Yeah, it's a good day for the Bears. Tough day for the Bears yesterday, but a valiant effort. Needless to say, four weeks earlier, they finish up with the women's game. Dad gets on the golf cart like he's done a jillion times and takes off and here they go and the guy's bringing them over there and mom and some of her friends are walking behind not too far away and get close up to where dad's car is like he always does, signals, motions, hollers out, okay, we're here. Guy that's driving the car slows down so dad can get off. Dad's getting off. He's not fully off and the guy takes off and dad flies off. Boom! Left hip shattered. 
his whole life, mom's whole life, our family's whole life change in an instant. Doesn't go into surgery until the next afternoon. In pain, has a massive surgery, rod in his leg, screws, 12 days in the hospital, finally gets to go home and has months of rehab. Dad is a realtor. He's been a realtor in Waco for over four and a half decades. Dad sold more houses to people in Waco than Chip and Joanna ever thought about flipping. Everybody knows Woody Rogers, he's the Yoda of realtors. I mean, at the place that he is a broker at, at Kelly Realtors, it's a common phrase, ask Woody. Go ask, you got a question of this contract? Ask Woody. How to deal with these people? Ask Woody. This inspection? Ask Woody. Just ask Woody. He's done it all. He's probably sold that house two or three times. He knows what to do. Right? You know it's hard to sell houses when you can't go show? When you can't walk? When you can't get in a car and drive clients around? That's tough, yes? Well, now it's gotten out that dad had this terrible accident and he's got a long recovery to come back. You know what the narrative was just a few days later? Well, I guess you're retired now. Dad's going, nobody say anything about retired. I mean, I may not, <laughs> I, I may not be able to be out front for a little bit, but Yoda's got some Jedi's, some young Jedi's that are going to be working on his behalf. And we're, we're still in the game here, folks. You know, in the real estate market, if you don't sell, you don't eat. So extra got attached to dad through no fault of his own, but now all of a sudden, he's got to work harder to get over something just to keep his business afloat. You see what I'm saying when sometimes extra gets attached? That's Mary Magdalene. That, that's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene may be able to, 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 to relate to that kind of unnecessary part of a reputation. However, nothing could shift her away from the power of her initial demon cleansing interaction with Jesus. She knew what happened. She experienced it. She was there. And in that moment, she became a brand new person from the inside out based on the authority of God's word. And certainly that would be Mary Magdalene's experience. See, what happened to Mary Magdalene that day is what the apostle Paul would write about years later. He would write to the church that was planted at Corinth about what happens when people make the choice to put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus the, the, the only powerful person who can change life completely from the inside out. Look at this truth here on the screen from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is an incredible truth we need to pause on this Sabbath day and reflect on this Sabbath day and not leave behind on this Sabbath day but begin to live out of the reality of this truth. Mary Magdalene didn't have to be told twice. (laughs) She experienced it once and for all. The power that Jesus invokes into the lives of those who have been changed by him is reality that those changed people must hold on to in that moment and walk forward with in all of the days that lie ahead. Not just for Mary Magdalene, but for you and for me and for all who've put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus for salvation, for new life. That is what Mary Magdalene experienced when she encountered the power of Jesus And the power of Jesus experienced by Mary then is the same power that a person can experience in his or her or your life today. When a person's life becomes hidden in Christ, in Christ. If a person has started a new relationship, Margaret and I were talking about that on Wednesday night, weren't we? About a personal relationship. It's personal. You're not just kind of a part of this family because you were born into a church, but you've made a decision to put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. Isn't that right, Margaret? And you personally know him. That's what we're talking about. That's what Mary experienced. That's what you and I can experience. And and when that person puts his or her, your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, and Jesus literally becomes your king, a whole new approach to the rest of your life from that moment forward is now available to you. That person, you, me, we have a new heart and have been given a fresh start To then be enjoyed as we just bow our lives and live our lives bowed before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And everything we do becomes an act of worship. Whether we eat or drink or watch March Madness or or, or go to work this week. Whatever we do, whatever we do, we do it as an act of worship unto the Lord. And we become a new creation by the power of Jesus. That means he's the Lord of your life. That means he's the one you live for. He is the one you submit to. He is the one you bend your will and every choice to because he's preeminent. And your identity is wrapped up in him. And if if a person's identity is wrapped up in being a follower of Jesus because that person has experienced total life change through engaging with the power of Jesus. That means that person, you, me, we choose to repent of our sin. That means we confess Jesus as the Lord. Then true freedom and true forgiveness is now in front of us and with us all of our days. See, when an individual believes 
in his or her heart and head and mind and life. God really did raise Jesus from the dead. Not only are you then saved from your sins that separated you from a holy God, you are now a what? Say it with me. New creation. You're a new creation. The old you has what? It's passed away. Behold, the new you has come. Not because you're trying harder. Not because you're going to get up earlier and read more Bible and pray harder and give more money and show up more. No. Has nothing to do with you. Has everything to do with Him. But when He's your Lord... It changes you from the inside out. And then everything you do has everything to do with Him. That, that's what it's about. That's the good news of the gospel. You, you have freedom now to move forward in Him. Not in the old you trying to put lipstick on that pig. That's never going to be more beautiful. Sin deceived us and put us to death. That's what the scripture says. Jesus raised us to new life, made us a new creation. Isn't that good? Yes. Yes. And such an opportunity gives the new you to live for the king and his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Not pie in the sky, sweet by and by one day, but as my friend Neil says, it's steak on the plate while we wait. Good stuff now. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not then, now. Now. Enjoy Him. Enjoy in His presence is fullness of joy. That's not just meant for some day out there. That's meant for this day right now in here. Mm. And while the truth of the Scripture about being a new creation has all kinds of implications about what's happened inside of our lives. It's not like a person's outward demeanor automatically changes, right? I mean, have you ever, have you ever had that experience? You walk into a room or someone walks into the room and maybe you say or they say, isn't there something different about you? I can't put my finger on it. There's something, there's something different about it. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Yeah, having that experience of, hey, there's something different about you typically happens when there is a physical difference that you can see with your eyes. For instance, maybe the person you know got a new haircut. Maybe the person you know got their braces off. Maybe the person you know has been working out, and you're like, wow, man, something different about you. Maybe the person you know shaved. Forget about it. See, while sometimes noticing that, hey, there's something different about you, can certainly be an observation about a person's physical outward appearance. What Paul's writing about from that verse that we looked at from 2 Corinthians 5, 17, about being a new creation, you know what that is? This is an inside job that then expresses itself on the outside, Yeah? Something happens inside of a person when Jesus encounters a person in such a way that it just begins to change everything else that they do. 
what they focus their time, their energy, their resources, their life on from that moment forward. You don't become, you know, the, the perfect person forever and ever. Amen. You're never going to make a mistake. You're never going to have to grow. No, that's called sanctification. When we grow and we walk and we keep moving forward and becoming, maturing into the person God has created us anew to be. That is a process. But he'll never love you anymore than he loved you the day he created you. And he'll never give you any more of himself as the Holy Spirit's gift in you than when you put your faith, hope, and trust in him. We live out of that. We grow into that. We mature into that. And that's what we see exemplified in the life of Mary Magdalene. Jesus changed what was happening inside of her. And it just adjusted everything in her life as a brand new creation. Think about it. Jesus believed in Mary Magdalene. Jesus believed that she was worth rescuing from the evil that was living rent-free inside of her life, heart, head, and soul. And Jesus believed that she would be the one who should be the first to encounter him on the other side of death when he emerged from the tomb. She witnessed his resurrection and she believed in him with all of her heart and soul and mind and strength. And you know what? It's a powerful thing when a woman is believed. It is a powerful thing when a woman is believed. And had Jesus not believed that Mary had what it took to be the first witness of his resurrected life, he likely would have revealed himself to someone else. But he didn't. He believed in her. It's a powerful thing when a woman's believed. And once Mary encountered Jesus near the tomb, she instantly went to relay that news of meeting her Jesus face to face. And, and, and then she invested her life, continuing to tell others of this one who had rescued her and defeated death. People must know the life-altering story of Jesus and, and his power that is worth believing in. And friends, Mary Magdalene did her part to make sure that everyone had the opportunity to hear and to know about Jesus. And while we know that Mary Magdalene was indeed the first to encounter Jesus at the tomb after his resurrection, it's safe to assume, stay with me, you still with me? Anybody else out there still with me? How about online? You still with me? Yes. Thumbs up. Keep going. 
While we know that Mary Magdalene was the first to encounter Jesus at the tomb after his resurrection, I believe that it's safe to assume that she very likely was in the room when Jesus later appeared to the disciples and to those who were with them. Luke 24 describes it. Would you take your Bible and open it to Luke 24? Because I want us to see something here. Because it's going to be very important as we move to taking the elements of the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. Because I want you to think about something uh, that we're going to do with the Lord's Supper and the bread and the cup. Maybe from a different perspective than you ever have before. Look with me in Luke chapter 24. Let's read verses 36 to 53 together. This is the scene where Jesus, now resurrected, steps into the presence of his disciples and other followers. And look what unfolds here, beginning in Luke 24, verse 36 and following. As they were talking about these things, his resurrection, his death, his life, his teachings, what this all meant. As they were talking about these things... Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. I would be too. And they thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, You got anything to eat? Fully God, but yet fully man. You got anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it. And he ate it before them. And then he said to them, clue in here. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets... And the Psalms must be fulfilled. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. It's important to read the first part of the Bible just as much as the last part. The whole thing's about him. And he just told us, it's all about a fulfillment of me. This whole thing's about me, Jesus is saying. All right, kind of self-centered, aren't you, Jesus? Yeah. This was all my idea. So yes, and there's life in my name. Look what he says here. Verse 45. Pray this prayer if Bible and stuff about God is hard to understand sometimes. Pray verse 45 that Jesus would do this for you. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, where? To all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit is coming in about 40 more days. And behold, I'm sending the promise of 
my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's Acts chapter 8, verses 1-8. And then Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit descends on the believers. He's telling them what's going to happen. Verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, the ascension. And what did they do? Verse 52, they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, imagine something with me. Imagine that the impact... That these corporate moments, together as disciples, as followers, Mary Magdalene right there in the middle of them, I believe. Imagine the, the, the impact that these corporate moments would have had on Mary Magdalene's life, coupled with the private ones that she had. Be gone, seven demons. Mary, outside the tomb. You, you couple the private with the corporate, major impact. It's not all about you and Jesus in a private, personal relationship. It's about you and Jesus and you and the church and being a part of the community and being in community and on mission. It's all together. And the corporate and the private coupled together, it's reasonable to assume she was right up there in the room when Jesus appeared to the group. And she certainly would have been in awe of him all over again as Jesus stood in their presence, eating some fish, talking with them about the message that must be told to everyone everywhere. And when Jesus, in verse 45, opened their minds to understand the scriptures, rest assured that all of them in attendance were radically marked in that moment, including who? Mary Magdalene. And once Jesus told her and the others that they were witnesses of these things and were to be a witness of these things, I believe Mary Magdalene took that commissioning to heart. And she was dialed in to be a harbinger of the good news that Jesus told them all to share. What did he tell them to share? repentance for the forgiveness of sins that should be proclaimed to all the nations beginning right where they were in Jerusalem. He states it clearly in verse 47. My favorite New Testament theologian, N.T. Wright, talks about this task from Jesus to his followers, and he sums up what Mary Magdalene would invest the rest of her life in. Look at this quote here on the screen. Right notes, repentance and forgiveness of sins. Those are the two things. Repentance and forgiveness of sins are not, therefore, simply a matter for an individual, though certainly they are that. It's important for each of us individually. Don't miss this. At the heart of being a Christian is the personal turning away from sin and celebrating God's forgiveness, which is, after all, at the heart of the Lord's prayer itself. But these two words, repentance and forgiveness of sins, these two words go much wider as well. They are the agenda which can change the world. You don't like the way the world is? 
start talking about repentance and forgiveness of sin. Repentance and forgiveness of sin. It's not about who you're going to reelect or vote in or vote out, although that's part of our responsibility as citizens. If you leave out repentance and forgiveness of sin, it's an adventure in missing the point. And Mary Magdalene, her whole world was changed by Jesus. And she, in turn, would do everything she could to fulfill what Jesus had told her and the others to do. She would go and tell the good news to a world that needed to be changed by the mercy and grace of Jesus. She was a living example of what the power of Jesus could do to restore life and bring freedom to one who had experienced the exact opposite for far too long. How could she keep that good news to herself? The better question for us is, how can we? How can you? Can you imagine what it must have been like in the days and the weeks and the months and the years for Mary Magdalene to actually begin to do what Jesus commanded his followers to do? And one of the commandments was what? Do this in what? remembrance of me. Was Mary Magdalene there when Jesus said that to the disciples? No. Probably not. Best we can tell, the 12 disciples were with Jesus when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And when the disciples shared what Jesus had shared with them to other followers like Mary Magdalene, I can't even begin to imagine when they talk about broken bread representing the broken body of Jesus, what she thought. Because she was right here looking at it for six hours. And when she said, remember him by what you drink. Don't you know those tears started falling because she went right back. I mean, you think my dad's injury was traumatic and it was? Imagine being a foot from a crucifixion for six hours. Do this in remembrance of me. (laughs) What must that have been like for her? Every time she took the bread and took the cup. What's it like for you? What's it like for me? Well, it's not meant to be flippant, that's for sure. But Mary did what Jesus said. And she did take the bread and she did take the cup in remembrance of him for the coming years. And we shift in this moment to prepare our hearts to do the same. Remembering as we walk towards Easter what it means to witness his resurrection. It means that we 
bring honor and glory in all of our lives to a Savior who was willing to be broken to make the world whole again and to make our broken lives whole again and clean again because of what he did on the cross in our place. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week.